Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hello, welcome to the latest conversation right here in my pod spot. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe so that these conversations show up automatically. And please feel free to leave a rating or a comment right here, especially about this one, because this one is very, very special for me. You know, it's the kind of conversation you wait a lifetime to have. If you think about the kind of artists that you have very, very early formative memories of hearing for the first time, then someone at my age, at this point in my life, I'd be hard pressed to get past Bruce Springsteen. Dancer in the Dark, the video, just iconic. The album, Born in the USA. It felt like it was all anybody was listening to all over the world when it came out. And for many Bruce Springsteen fans, it marks the commercial peak of his journey. But of course, if you're a real fan, you know it's not about the amount of records or tickets sold. It's about the journey, the entire body of work that has been on, that has so meticulously and emotionally transcribed the human experience. Whether it's early beginnings in Asbury, New Jersey, right through to kind of redefining what you did with an 8-track in the modern era with an album called Nebraska, coming back at a moment when, in particular, America needed him to in 2002 with The Rising, right through to his on-again, off-again creative relationship with the E Street Band, which, when they're in the room, creates ultimate magic, but when they're not, gives Bruce Springsteen an opportunity to experiment and explore different sides of his craft and who he is as an artist. But even when you get a human touch or a western stars there is a part of you that is eagerly anticipating the moment that bruce gets the band back together but the good news is on his latest album called letter to you not only has he got the band back together he's got them in the room recording the album start to finish with very little overdubs or edits for the first time ever and it is, in relation to Bruce's entire catalogue of incredible records, the most E Street sounding band record he's made since Born to Run. It's an incredible collection of songs. The stories, the songwriting and the playing is at an all time high. Now, as someone who's waited for an opportunity to talk to Bruce as long as I've been listening to his music, I have to say this is the perfect time. A chance for us to dive deep into his relationship with the E Street Band around Letter to You and connect them to key moments in his life story so that we can gain some real wisdom from somebody who has not only lived a life, he's written about it. So this one shows up right here in a list of really amazing conversations that I've had thus far right here on the Zane Lowe interview series. And it looks incredible. I hope you enjoy listening to it. This is myself for the first time in conversation with the boss, the one and only, the iconic Bruce Springsteen. Let me start by saying what a thrill it is to finally meet you. Thank you. I wish that we could do it face to face, obviously. Jesus. You know. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and I've decided the beanie's off. The beanie's off. I need to get the All beanie right. off. I like, um, the, I like the real you. <laughs> <laughs> this year has been so challenging for the, for the human spirit, for what it is to be human. And, and everyone I know, including myself, has kind of, I think, struggled with this idea of stillness here, while chaos ensues out there. And for someone who absorbs and translates and transcribes the human condition so beautifully, I wonder kind of how you have adapted just to get the ball rolling <laughs> at home in the last eight months. All right, let's start with an easy one. Uh, I'm like everybody else, man. So I'm like everybody else. I've been taking it a day at a time. And... Uh, that's that's all you can do, really. You know, I, I haven't had any. Uh, uh, I, 
haven't had any particular secret as how to deal with the whole thing. You know, we just, you know, Patty and I, we were, we literally just been taking it a day at a time, doing what we can. You know, we were lucky in that we uh, made our record and, and, and shot the film of it uh, a few months before the virus hit. So I had something to do. <laughs> yeah. And I could do it with I could do it with a relatively small group of people. You know, so that that helped a lot. So I've been able to stay busy, which helped, which has helped. But it's it's just been it's just been a day at a time, like everybody else. I don't have any <laughs> I don't have any great wisdom as how to get through get through what we whatever this is that we've been going through. You know, what a gift this album is. I'm so grateful, and I think everyone will be very grateful to receive this album this year. You know, when I think about it, when I listened to it for the first time, I was immediately transported to a place that I know and love that I've wanted to hear again, which is this idea of you and the band coming together and just getting out of your own way and just allowing that chemistry and what is special about you as a band and as friends come yeah, to well, be. It's, it's a, it, was, it was a great project for us because I don't think we've ever played live together in the studio and then kept everything that we did on the full take, all the singing, all the playing. It's really, it's the E Street Band, really completely live, and I overdubbed a few solos and things, but it's it's really, it's really the band uh, uh, in one shot. So that's, we've played live in the studio before, but never kept everything. Always gone back in and overdubbed a vocal or overdubbed, you know, put other things on. So it was, uh, uh, it, it was a, a great experience for the guys. It was a testament to how good the band has gotten and how better it continues to get over the years, both in the studio and out, you know. So it was it was a lot of a lot of fun. And of course, seeing the guys is always great. And it was just a, a great experience for everybody that was involved, you know. Why do you think it's taken you this long uh, to to get to that point in your process, to get to get with the band in the room and feel like you can capture that live recording and it's good enough for us to hear? I don't know. You know, you get involved with all different kinds of projects that happen in a lot of different kinds of ways. For quite a while, I simply began to demo all my music because I got tired of going into the studio and writing 30 songs and having, you know, five of them be okay. And and uh, so I started to demo everything. But once I started to demo everything, I realized that I really got locked into those demos. And so then I was kind of working in... in Either the records became sort of solo records or different types of projects. And so uh, this was the first thing where when I, I came up with a group of songs relatively very quickly and I said, well, smart thing to do is to not demo them and let the band come in and just wash straight into them, you know. And, uh, and I also knew I wanted to do a, a band project. Uh, it had been really quite a while since we done uh, since I had really put the put the band together and, and let them play in the studio and so uh, it, it was just it's all just timing and and what happens and where you are in different places in your life and uh, everything comes along and it's time so uh, uh, it was just a uh, good moment for it is it a gut feeling do you sit there when you're listening to these songs and go I need to hear the band fire these up I need to hear what they can do around these. Or is it like 
to some degree, it's time for, for us to get together because if I don't, then the nature of this relationship may start to change if I don't continue to keep the wheel turning. There is some of that, you know, you, you, you do need to, you've got to touch base creatively every so often just to keep everything alive and, and humming and the relationships up and good. And uh, uh, so there is there is some of that going. And it's also, like I say, what, what happens with the nature of the material and the project you're doing. You know, this material, the songs came very quickly in about seven to ten days. We made the record, really we made the record in four days, and, and on the fifth day we kind of listened to everything. And uh, it was it was just, um, but you do have to, you do have, everything has to be nurtured, and, and even though the E Street Band's been together for a long time, still, it's, it's still the same, you know? You gotta get back together, you've gotta, uh, yeah nurture those relationships and you've got to play together. Yeah, and you've got to, you know, the, the, the playing together ultimately is what we're, what we're there for and, and what, you know, it's the foundation of who we are together. And so uh, you've got to touch base with that every, every so I mean, It's often. really clear when you listen to this album or any of the music that you've made with the E Street Band or any of the shows that you've played live, countless shows with the band, that the, the musical shorthand you have is second to none, that there's an, uh, you know, an unspoken communication that exists between you musically through the spirit of how you play. Um, but that's only one side of the work. There also, and I, and I am obsessed with your dynamic with the E Street Band because the joy it's given me as a fan and the fact that it comes and goes in these stages and most people hold on to things and they never let it go. And you have the courage to let it go so it comes home. So I wonder when it comes home, whether or not there has to be moments where things are addressed on a normal communication level, like, man, I wish I'd played on that record, or, you know what I mean? And you have to face those things down because these are real human beings and they love to play with you. Well, I always know the guys like to work, so uh, that's sort of unspoken. But they also know I, I, I do work on my own and, and on, on certain projects, and it's just the, the natural ebb and flow of, of of our lives together. Did it take a while to establish that ebb and flow though? I mean, like going back, and not only to go back briefly at this point in, in context of the question, but that decision after one of your most successful records and your first taste of success with the band where everybody just wanted that back in Born, Born to Run, to have the bravery to turn around and say, look, I need to flow, <laughs> the ebb will come later. You know, did it take a while for the band to understand? Because I would imagine the normal human reaction would have been, this is working, why can't we just keep going? Well, in truth, if, if I had had some very creative ideas that involved continuing sort of working with the band as, as I had been doing, I would have done something. But I got to a place where it was really after Born in the USA, where we had our greatest success. And the first thing I did, well, I don't want to chase that horse, you know. The guys you see that end up trying to, okay, the next record's got to be bigger, or, or uh, it's, it's, it's not the healthiest way to go. You know, you're, you're better off following your muse. And immediately after Born in the USA, I wanted to make a smaller record. I made it over the top of my garage, me and one other guy. And uh, I played all the instruments myself, and there's a record called Tunnel of Love. And so I immediately wanted to reintroduce myself as a singer and a songwriter, and I wasn't interested in, in sort of bettering, you know, what we'd done with Born in the USA or anything else. You, you, it's a losing game whenever you get into that, that, particular, uh, that particular approach. So after that, we, the, the band took quite a long break, uh, 10 years. We really didn't play together for 10 years. 
And I was just having, I had my family and raising my children when they were very young and, uh, you know, trying some other things and just just sorting, just looking around to see who I was going to be, you know, after we had that big success. And so, uh, uh, but then the relationships proved themselves both creatively and emotionally by just, you know, there came a point in time where I said, well, I miss the guys. Let's see if the guys miss me. <laughs> and we eventually started to work together again. And it's been the best last last 20 years, which is what we've, it's been now. It's been 20 years since the band really got back together, has have been the greatest of our uh, performing and uh, lives, you know. So it's it's been a blessing. I mean, this album is a, is a triumph, you know. And as I said before, and I hope you take this as a, as a compliment, I am such a fan of of everything that you've gone on throughout your life and applied yourself to creatively and the way that you've balanced what we love about you and what we insatiably want from you versus what you're willing to give, which is when I show up, I'm committed. When I'm not, I'm out the picture. Understand that. And you've mastered that, I think. Um, But this album feels like all of that restlessness that has been wrapped up in your journey has just come home for a brief moment, has just come home to this thing that people know and love so well. And I wonder if you loved that once you gave gave into that and knew it was going to feel like something we love and feel familiar, whether you loved it, given that your history suggests that you reject elements of that. Well, yeah, you go through different phases and, and... You know, I went through long periods of phase where I, I just, whatever it was I just did, I don't want to sound like that. But we kind of came to a place where I said, well, gee, this is material that, that I want to sound like for the E Street Band, what, what, you know, or my, my idea of it. You know, I wanted the pianos and I wanted, we've got our little glockenspiels in there. And, and even and, structurally, like the big pauses where it stops and you think it's going to end. And, I, and in my mind, when, it, when you finally get to play live, it's just going to be like, one, two, three, four, back end. You know what I mean? You just know it's going to come back. This is great material to play live. So it's, it's very painful to not be able to go out and play right now because this is material that'll play incredible on stage. And so, uh, I was really just all in on want, wanting the record to, to. I wanted to go back to a style, probably closest you'd have to go back to, maybe Born to Run, you know, where, where I let, I gave Roy free reign on the piano, and uh, <laughs> the arrangements were the songs fit those kinds of arrangements, and so it was a lovely modern revisitation of that style, you know. Yeah, big, just big and heartfelt and spiritually alive and words are beautiful. And, you know, reference points to things that we've heard you pull from before from, you know, your palette, your mood board of, of images and characters. And it all just really ties together into what I think is a big is, is one big story. And one of the things that I wondered before we moved into the album specific is in pulling the E Street Band back together and to some degree getting back to that space, of what you sound like, or what you sounded like when you instinctively began. It's the natural place that you fit into, right? This is what we really sound like at the heart of it before we decide to change or move. Right. Whether whether playing together over those four days to some degree allowed you to begin to cross a bridge together and fill in the spaces emotionally that had been hard to address because two of your brothers, three friends, and I'm sure maybe others, but in particular two of your brothers from the E Street Band, aren't playing on this particular record and whether or not you acknowledge that this was an important part of that process. Well, you know, you still experience the loss of, of, of Clarence and Danny. You know, that's just, 
like I say, they're they're members in absentia. They'll never not be members of the band, and and so uh, it's always corny to say, but they are always there in spirit, and uh, you know they 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 revisit your process in 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 their own in their own mysterious ways. That 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 those of our friends who've passed stay with us and do. And the record has got quite a bit to do with, you know, there, there's part of its subtext is there's some aging and, and, and loss of, of, of people as time goes by. And that's, that's, a, uh, that's a part of what the record is. And, and, uh, and then at the same time, you know, you're sort of celebrating the fact that the band goes on and we carry their spirits with us. And, uh, the 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 impetus for a lot of the material was the loss of my good friend George Thies, who was the last. Him and I were the last members of my very first band. So when he passed away, it left me as the only remaining living member of the first band that I had, which was a very strange and uh, uh, thought, and it, it it gave rise to most of the material that's on Letter to You, you know. Uh, it's sort of a a reflection and a meditation on time passing and loss of friends and and uh, and and how that affects you as you as you grow older. And it begins with a song called "One Minute You're Here," which is just a beautiful opening to the album. And also, in terms of arrangement and musicality, is so lovingly nurtured by the band as you're finding this thought. It's almost like you're being surrounded by them in this moment and they're just, they're just there with you whilst you're capturing this thought and sharing it. The idea of mortality is not really something that rock and roll was built to address. Rock and roll is to be timeless and to run and chase and experience and stare down and fight and love and all of those things. And yet you've made this stirring rock and roll record that addresses these ideas and I wonder sort of how it felt as these songs were pouring out of you and you were getting out of the way of them because it doesn't sound like there was a lot of overanalysis going on here that it was really coming from the heart. Yeah, I mean, songs were written very quickly, so uh, I didn't spend a lot of time on them. They were all written, each one was written in, you know, a day or two, and they came quite naturally. So that was that's always nice when that happens. One Minute You're Here is, it's a little bit of a preface to the record, you know. It's, it's unusual to start a record with its quietest song. And, uh, but it felt like, okay, the record really starts with Letter to You, but there's this little preface about, that lets you know what the record is going to, uh, uh, encompass, you know, the emotional field that it's going to to deal in. And the record starts with with One Minute You're Here and then ends with I'll See You In My Dreams, which are both song, songs about mortality and uh, and death. It was just sort of a a little... A little tip of the hat to where where uh, where the record was going to go, and and a, a little slightly connected to Western stars, so it was a, a tra little transitional piece of music. At what point in your life, as you were going from family to album to tour, and and that's those are the kind of the three points, right? That, that 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 if you could look at it in terms of as a shape that define the musical life. At what point did you realize that life is actually short? Life is 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 short but long, you know. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> so uh, 
obviously, the older you get, the shorter it seems, you know? So, you know, I feel, hey, I'm, I'm just in the middle of it, you know? I'm, I'm feeling good, and, and the band is, is ripping, and, and uh, you know, we're going through this crazy time period, uh, but we're keeping our spirit, and given the circumstances of the day, we're, we're getting along, you know? So that triumvirate of family... Fan, that family work dynamic is always the trickiest thing to suss, suss out. It took me a long time for me to get that straight. And that's, and that's even with my family are mixed directly in with the band as Patty's a band member, you know. If you can balance those two things, it leads for a pretty satisfying, satisfying life. And, and I've been lucky enough to sort that through as I've gotten older. I think it's inspiring to see how you've been able to build such a strong, what seems at least for, for me as a fan, as someone who observes and isn't part of the dynamic, such a strong balance over time between the two because so much of your music, and I think music steeped in great rock and roll, is, is, is built on the chase. I think of a song like Last Man Standing, you know, and I, and I think about that idea, and maybe I'm missing the nuance of the song, but the title itself says to me, like, I'm running things down, you know? It's almost like I'm afraid of what I'm not going to experience when it's all said and done. I think that uh, that record was, that, that particular song was directly due to George's passing and me finding out that, well, okay, I'm... Uh, out of that group of people, I'm I'm kind of here on my own, you know. And um, it was a small honoring of the guys that I learned my craft with, you know, between the ages of 14 and 17 or 18. You know, those were some of the deepest learning years of my life, learning how to be on stage, learning how to write, learning how to, how to front the band, learning how to sing in front of a, a band. Uh, learning how to put together a show, learning how to play for all different kinds of audiences at firemen's fairs, at union halls, at CYO dances, at, uh, uh, and, and just really honing your craft, you know. So it was the tip of the hat to sort of that period of learning with, those, with, that, with that group of people. You know, and we were always, we always wanted to make music that followed our lives along. I said, I didn't want to find myself as 40 years old on stage, sort of feeling funny about singing a song that I wrote when I was 20, uh, where I was trying to hold on to some ephemeral sense of youth. You know, I, I always wanted to uh, write music that, that felt like it, it was life being lived. At the time, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That that's that's been that's been a concern of mine. In fact, I was talking to Rick Rubin about this the other day. We were discussing Tom Petty's album uh, Wildflowers because uh, it's 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 coming out in its sort of original twenty-five song format that that I think Tom always wanted to put it out in, not the fifteen single album. Although I laugh that it's like that's the single album. Fifteen songs nowadays is a marathon for kids. But anyway, it is. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, there's you didn't you didn't have room for more than ten or twelve songs, you know. If you were most of my, my early re, my early records have seven songs on them, eight songs on them. You know, that was all you could fit. You had forty minutes, you know. So that were nine minute songs, though, Bruce. To be fair, no, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know. No, um, we were talking about this, and I was saying that that that, that album is so remarkable in many respects because it it it, it does what what you just said, it tells the story of a man at 44 who's going through it and wanted to make a timeless document of that moment rather yeah. than try to chase something down. And I feel like the last 
five, maybe six years of your life, you have achieved something incredible. You have found a way, it's a magic act really, you found a way to reflect generously and tell your life story through, through the written word, through Broadway, and now through this gift of an album, and not sound like you're closing your life story. It sounds like you're making room for something else. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent way to put it because really it's kind of packing your bags from a certain period of time in your life, putting them away, and then giving yourself room to do whatever you're going to do next, you know? It was all those projects were summational. The book was, the play was. This record is sort of, it's, con- it's a combination of summational and the beginning of something new, you know, with the band. But yeah, that's exactly, that's how I feel. I mean, I feel like... You, I feel you, like the book you, was the garage sale. Broadway was the reckoning and the album is the gift. Maybe that's it. <laughs> what did you learn from the Broadway experience? I want to talk a little bit about that specific because it was something that was so unique. I don't live with many regrets, Bruce. I've got the tools to get past those, but that one is really on the line for me, never getting a chance to see the show. But I've watched it on TV. And um, it struck me that, that every night you were going through this process again for fans in the audience and maybe yeah. I'm looking too deeply into this, but I've, I've watched, just to make it personal for a sec, I've watched my mum who is currently suffering from um, you know, a, 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 a disease based in, in, in age and memory loss. Um, uh-huh. And I'm watching her making memories, like trying to store memories. So as they sure. start to go away, she keeps the important ones. And I know that that's something that's close to your, to your family as well. And I wonder in some respects whether there's something subliminal going on where you're like, I just got to make sure these are in order. These make sense before I can move on to the next thing. Well, the Broadway show was, a lot of these projects amazingly happened by accident, you know, like the book came out of us playing at the Super Bowl, believe it or not, back in 2008, where I wrote a small essay for online about that experience. And I, so I said, oh, I found a voice that I like, enjoyed writing in, and so I ended up writing the book. Uh, the Broadway play came out of, we were invited to play at the White House by President Obama in the last two weeks that he was in the White House. So I said, well, I don't want to bring the whole band down there. I'll go down and play a few acoustic songs myself. And maybe just to change it up, I'll read a little from the book and I'll play a song. So I came in a studio and I spent a couple hours for two days and I put together 90% of what was the Broadway show. And I went down and I I played it in uh, the East Room in the White House. And after it, the president came on stage and he said, you know, that was really good. That should be a show. (laughs) This is this is true. So that ought to be that ought to be a show that you can play for other people, you know. And so on the way back, I said, yeah, I think that's right. That that should be something that I should be able to take out and play and play for some folks. And so I said, well, I I need a really intimate environment because I only played for two hundred people at the White House, like no more than a thousand seats, nine hundred seats, and all those beautiful theaters were on Broadway. So that's where we ended up. And, uh, but the whole thing, once again, came about very organically. And uh, uh, then it was just, I followed the tract of the book, which follows basically the development of my creative and recorded life. And, uh, and, and so that it was a very natural structure. 
And once again, I said it ended up being sort of a summational performance. And, and uh, but that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. You know, the hundred and I'm not sure how many shows I did, 126 or something, were some of the loveliest nights of my life. Every night was challenging. Every night was a blessing. The audiences were absolutely incredible. And uh, just one of the loveliest experiences I ever had. On this album, there is a real sense of um, freedom that I think came from the speed at which you seem to write these songs. And I know that the instrument that you wrote them on drew you to it. I'm obsessed with this part of uh, making music, that instruments speak to their players, um, that it's not just a tool, that it's a relationship. And it sounds like you built a very strong and quick relationship with this guitar that was gifted to you, right, by a fan. <laughs> It's a funny story. I was coming out on the Broadway, uh, Broadway show, and you know, there's a little stretch where the fans are there, and I sign a few things, and I, you know, say hello, and I hear a few stories. And I was a kid right before I got in the car, and he's standing there with his guitar, and he was from—I I think he was from Italy, you know—and and he said, you know, Bruce, Bruce, this is a—we we brought this for you, and uh, and he had the guitar. There was no case or anything, and he. And he told me, literally, it was a minute, you know, and he gave me the guitar, and I said, thank you, and it, I got in the car with it, and I said, gee, this is a really, this is a really beautifully made made guitar, and it was, and it was from a, the it's a Claves or something, was it, I've never, a company I'd never heard before, but it was, the wood was gorgeous, and so I brought it home, and I put it in my living room, I set it up in my living room, and it just sat there, and I didn't play it, and uh right around the time I started to feel uh, something coming with the songs, I picked it up, and then most of the songs came out of it, you know? It was just like, it was a beautiful guitar to play, beautiful sounding guitar, and the songs came pouring out of it. So it was, it was a lovely sort of uh, uh, little piece of magic that I, and I have no idea who the kid was or what they're, or where he is now, but I have to, I have to send him some thanks, so. <laughs> How do you know? I've, I've got to go back. There's a moment that really, that I, I need to just kind of get, take you back to in that answer where you, you sort of threw it away, but to me it was really important, which is I, I kind of felt the, stop, the song starting to come, and, and I know that it's, I spent too long asking questions to musicians to know that analysis is, is like dancing for architecture. But I do have to ask you, like, if you could put it into words, how do you know that something is just circling you that needs to be captured or connected to? Closest thing I can connect it to, it's, it's like, you know, uh, there's this long intubation period. There's like a garden, you know. You seed it, at, seed it with experience and time. And then you wait, all right? And you don't know how long you're going to have to wait. Uh, unfortunately, creativity does not uh, work as like the seasons do, you know? If I knew I was gonna get a batch of songs every winter, I'd be a lot happier, or every summer. Uh, but you see it, and then eventually something, uh, there's an incident or an event or some something in life just sort of sets it off and, they come, and when you're lucky, as I was on this project, they come all at once, they come fast, the recordings come fast, fast is good. Uh, 
And uh, but but that exact moment is 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 a moment that I've never known or read anyone who's been able to describe it. What happens between that moment of uh, of of when things are ready to sprout and then when they're there? That's the moment that can't be described. That's why it's magic. You know, is it spiritual? Yeah, I would say that it absolutely is. It, it, you know, it absolutely is, and it's it's that moment before uh, that moment before you take something that is just in the air and suddenly you make it physical. It's a song. It's it's it turns into a piece of recording. You know that that exact moment is quite indescribable. You know, but it, when it happens. It's funny because it, it's 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 kind of it's such a wonderful thing, you know. I, I wish everyone could experience it, you know. I mean, the, the week that I spent writing writing the record was so easy, and and I hadn't written a song for the E Street Band in probably six or seven years. So the week that I spent writing that music, when it was just kind of coming every day. This one song, letter to you, see you in my dreams, ghosts, you know, just every day something else came. What a what a lovely experience that is, you know. It's 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 one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. And then when the band came in and just fell into that music and 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 we spent only three hours a song and I could get in the booth, come around to the front of the recording and hear the record finished in front of me. You know, it was just wonderful. Yeah, just an incredible, incredible experiences that uh, still remain some of the loveliest of my life. Of my life when they happen, you know. Do you sleep better when that's happening, or are you too excited and you sleep worse? <laughs> uh, yeah, I keep the guitar in the bedroom because you will wake up at night and continue working on something you had going, and uh, so you tend to your your uh, your whole metabolism speeds up. Yeah. So for a week you're 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 very active and and your system is very on high. I want to get back to that relationship with instruments. I'm fascinated by the idea that that Fender that you played on Born to Run, that famous cover, it had to be that guitar. That that perhaps <laughs> you had a relationship with the guitar that you made Nebraska on because it sounds to me like you did. That's one of the most intimate records I've ever heard in my life. And that idea of instruments and you having these moments in time you know, did it have to be that guitar for Born to Run to get made? Do you look back on it now? If it had been a different instrument, it would have been a different record? Well, the, your instruments blend in with the records that you made. So that guitar, which is, you know, that's my, that's like my arm. You know, I put that on. I don't even feel like I have an instrument on. It feels just like a piece of me, you know. Um, uh, and Born to Run was funny because I actually wrote a lot of it on piano which is why if you go to Born to Run, there's all those piano intros. Mm. I had a little Aeolian spinet piano in my little tiny shotgun house, and I went in and I, that's how the beginning of Jungle Land and Backstreets and all, that's how the, the record became piano-centric. A lot of it was written on the piano. Mm. Uh, and, then, and then I pl play, played on that Fender guitar, you know, and uh, the guitar I, uh, from Nebraska, which is, wait a minute, can somebody get me? I'll get it. Hold on. There it is. This is the guitar that, uh, this is the guitar Nebraska came out of. Wow. Can you see it? Oh my God. You know? Mm -hmm. 
standing in her front lawn, just twirling her baton. Me and her went for answer. Tennis and people died. That was it. So it came out of this. So and all the songs came out of this guitar. You know. So those are yeah. These are, they become sacred pieces for you. You know. Any anything that brought you all that that music. So I've got a I've got a few instruments that are sacred to me. I wish I still had that Aeolian piano that I wrote Born to Run on. I don't know what I did with it. I gave it away to somebody when I gave it away to somebody when I was moving because I couldn't carry it, <laughs> you know. So, uh, well, you know, that's all part of that's all part of the story too. That's all part of the story too. <laughs> Let me ask you: Have you written have you have you written any other notable moments or anything on that guitar since Nebraska, or is that kind of hold its place now for you? No, you know, you use it, and and then you don't you don't go back to those instruments for some reason. They did their job. Wow. I leave them semi-retired. I may play it on something if that I'm recording in the studio, but uh, uh, no, I haven't gone back. <laughs> but you did go back on this album, and and you know you found three songs that appear on on, right. um, and they're amazing songs, and and they fit beautifully in the context of this album because, as you said, you've created a modern, you know, a, a version of what the East Street Band sounds like. But my question is, like, on a song like Janie Needs a Shooter, like, how do you even find that? And what prompts you to go back so far to find something you feel is going to fit into this narrative? That would suggest that you archive in your head like no one I've ever met in my life. Well, it was funny, you know, because we were working on a lot of stuff that I have in the vault to put out at some again at some time. And I went through a whole almost record of, pre-greetings from Asbury Park music that was all acoustic. And these songs were inside them. And I said, wow, these were, these were good songs that I, at one point or another, sometimes tried to arrange with the band. I said, it'd be fun to hear the band on this one, that one, and this one, you know? And just I just picked them by random. And, and the guys came in and I said, okay, today we're going to record songs that are 50 years old. <laughs> And so, and we're going to see what happens, you know. So we went in, and they came out great. You know, the, the 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 modern band playing, playing those ideas that I had as a 22 year old, right? Talk about, uh, uh, I was 22 when I wrote all those songs, and it was it was great. And for some reason, it just fit on the record, and and because the record is, you know, skips through time, you know, and and. It, it it starts with me thinking about when I was 14 and 15 and then just slow, it moves into the present, you know. So those songs added a little touchstone for that certain period of time. And uh, But a lot of fun, you know. And, and the band played them great. And, and I went back and I sort of found a voice that, that really fit them. And, and they're, they're a nice addition to the record. I mean, the voice that you found on this record, there are moments that I, I feel you found a tone and an emotion and a feeling to, to go along with these songs that um, I, I've heard very rarely if ever from you. Um, a chance for you to kind of, I suppose, put yourself inside the song in a different way. I, I feel sometimes, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel sometimes musicians bend the song to their own tone or their own talent. 
And I feel like you you go the other way. You find a place where you know what the song needs and you're willing to go there. Like on a song like House of a Thousand Guitars, the, your voice on that is unbelievable. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you got to meet the song halfway, you know. Every piece of music has its demands. I just try to find out what that is, what tone in my voice is going to feel right for this particular piece of music, and and you try to you try to meet it in the middle, and uh, that's that's one of my favorite songs on the record. I, I I'm not exactly sure why yet. Oh, I am because it's stealth. The whole point. That song, oh, yeah. song feels to me like it's the whole point of it all. It's the whole show in one song. It is. That's very. That's well put because that's exactly what it is. You know, it it's at the center of the record, and it's sort of speaks to this world that the band and I have attempted to create uh, with its values, its ideas, its codes since we started. And it kind of collects all of that into one piece of music, into this imaginary house of a thousand guitars. It's not imaginary. You're sitting in it right now. I can see the guitars behind you. (laughs) This is the house of a thousand guitars, that's for sure. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, is it in the set now? And I don't want to obviously box you into something that you will immediately rip up and do whatever you want on the night, but I don't see how there isn't a moment where House of a Thousand Guitars doesn't close the show. It could, yeah. It's one of those, it's, 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 it's gonna, it, it'll come in there somewhere, you know? It, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it is lovely and summational and speaks to that world that I've created with my, with my fans and with my band, so... It's, that's a really little blessed piece of music for me. You know, I would say it, sh- it should have ended the album as a fan, but, I, but, but it shouldn't have, because I'll See You In My Dreams is just the perfect way for the album to end. And um, you've spoken honestly and openly about the way that dreams, you relate to your dreams. And, and it's weird, I have friends who very, very rarely recall their dreams. I don't often recall my dreams, but you seem to be able to. And I wonder kind of what, without getting too personal, since you've gone through this process of, of recollecting and sharing whether or not your dreams have been different lately. I remember a lot of my dreams, and I always have, you know. I'm a vivid dreamer, and I've always remembered, you know, when I wake in the morning, I will very often remember extensively what I dreamt the night before. But that base, that song was basically about that those that... Those that pass away don't ever really leave us. You know, I, they visit me, and they do visit me in my dreams several times a year. You know, I'll see, I'll see. You know, clients will come up a couple of times <laughs> in a year. My, you know, my the, the fellow that traveled with me on the road for 25 years, I'll see him or I'll see Danny. They just show up in, in very absurd, sometimes in abstract ways, you know, in the middle of strange stories. And but but they're there, and it's it's actually a lovely thing to revisit with them in that way. So uh, the song was a little concrete in the fact that that does happen to me. But uh, it's also about how they walk alongside of us forever. You know, the people that we love don't ever truly leave us. The pain slips away the love remains and they live in that love and walk alongside you as your ancestors and your life companions as a part of your spirit you know so that song is basically about that hey you know i'm not going to see you at the next session but i'll see you in my dreams have you ever gotten songs from dreams has anything come to you in a dream that said it's made it into a bruce springsteen record only once. Only once did I ever dream. Usually what happens is you dream, 
a song you're writing and you think it's fantastic and you wake up and it's always not. <laughs> you know, there's something, there's something in the dream that feels great while you're done, but when you wake up, it's just like, oh, this isn't that much. The only song I ever got out of a dream is a song, and nobody's, nobody's really gonna know what it is, a song called Surprise, Surprise from my Working on a Dream record. For some reason, I dreamt that song, woke up, wrote it, Came out pretty good, but <laughs> that's the only song I've ever grabbed out of a dream that that, that ended up being anything. So, and it's funny because in preparation for this conversation, I went on the most beautiful deep dive. I just started somewhere I don't even know where, um, and I just ended up going very deep into footages and and randomly, and I found these old performance videos of you playing with the band in the early days. Just. Just the most glorious chaos. <laughs> just women running on stage and grabbing you and kissing you and the band, just, it's just unbelievable. Those were the days. <laughs> Those were the days. Those were the days. And I, think, and I think about all that old footage and I wonder whether or not you ever come across it. Even just by accident, you stumble on something and, and, you, just, and you just allow yourself just to indulge a little bit in it and reflect a little bit through, through what has been captured on video. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was, you know, we didn't we didn't allow ourselves to be shot very often when we were young. I was superstitious about it as far as I, the magician not wanting to see too closely how he does his magic trick. And uh, so I'm so glad for the footage that exists now as I've gotten older. And I really wish I'd allowed, and we film a lot now, but I really wish I'd allowed us to film much more when I was younger. But that particular piece of footage, which I'm, I'm very familiar with, was us playing Rosalita in Phoenix, Arizona. That's and right. And I think I was 27 or 28, and it was just this... It was the end of the night, and there was just a, that fabulous, chaotic moment where the stage is besieged, and it's a great little piece of rock and roll footage, you know, rock and roll film. There's a moment after they finally remove the, 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 the women from the stage and everything else where I think you turn around <laughs> to someone in the band and you're just like, what the f just happened? <laughs> uh, yeah. And the veneer just falls away, and all of a sudden, you're not the boss anymore. You're just this 27-year-old normal kid who's like, what just happened then? It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great time. Great night. We had a lot of great shows in Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona was a big, big city for us when we very started, and great audiences there. So that was a lovely, uh, a lovely moment. One thing I've learned from talking to musicians over what has now become a majority of my life is that um, this, this beautiful experience that you go through and that we all go through together by loving what you do, I would say almost inevitably begins with the desire to get past something, fill some hole. Oh, of course, yeah. To resolve issues, a fracture in your life, motivation. Something as simple as I'll show you. Well, you're, you know, you're, you're a repairman. And the first thing you're trying to do is repair yourself. You know, the places that you've been wounded or hurt or feel empty. And then through doing that, you, you, you sort of come up with a gift where you can help people repair themselves through your music and through, uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's the way I look at part of my job is I'm a repairman. You know, it's, it's also, it's, you're into an identity search. Uh, who am I? Uh, what do I believe in? 
What, how am I going to comb my hair, wear my clothes, walk down the street? You know, it, it's a huge, it's a huge search for popular music is a place where a lot of people go to find their uh, different pieces of their identity. And yeah. uh, so I pulled all of this together into this guy named Bruce Springsteen, whoever that might be, you know. It, it comes both out of a place of great joy and great pain. And it's, it's, which is why it's so filled with life, because that's life. Life is great joy, great pain. You try to blend them together in a way that makes life bearable to live, you know. And uh, so that, that thing that you've created co comes, comes out of that ground. And uh, what makes the joy feel real is the fact that it's it's embedded in this this soil of, of of difficulty and struggle and pain that you've lived through and are trying to make sense out of as a repairman, as a musician. These characters and these adventures that that you wrote about um, that, that still crop up here and there, but for the most part, as you've continued to grow as an artist and a human, you've been able to let them rest to some degree. But they were very alive in, in the first phases of your, of your journey. <laughs> and and I, think, I think a lot of times we always felt like, A, those characters were real, and B, they were trying to escape where they came from, a physical boundary as such. Sure, yeah. And yet I, I wonder whether or not maybe we got it wrong at times and that that escapism was, was that the pain is still there. Even though you're trying to repair it, the pain is still there and those characters are kind of you. And in a way, you're trying to escape yourself to some degree and who you actually are as a person versus who you, the construct of what you want to become. That's right. You know, really, I thought, you know, when I was young, I thought, I just want to get out of town, man. I, I, you know, I'm stuck in Asbury. I'm stuck in Freehold. I'm 20 years old. I'm 22. And... Uh, uh, I, you know, I just want to go someplace. And so uh, all my early characters were really based on characters that I sort of knew in, in, in Asbury Park, all these different little street characters. And I used part of it was real and part of it was my imagination. And that's where Greetings from Asbury Park and The Wild and the Innocent and the East Street Shuffle and some of uh, Born to Run comes from. But what you find out later is, is hey, I live... 10 minutes from freehold right now you know it, it wasn't it wasn't so much it wasn't so much the place you were trying to get away from it was some aspect of you that you were unhappy with at the moment and you were trying to sort through and uh and process you know and as time went by i realized that i i like where i live i like where i was born i like the people that are here uh it's been a great life for me here. You know, I've been pretty protected by the community that's here. So I, I kept a level head and, and, and it protected me from sort of the vicissitudes of fame and, and fortune, uh, which can confuse a lot of people. But you're right. It, it's, it's initially, it's not so much you want to actually physically get away. It's, it's that you, you need to process the things that are painful in your life and the parts of yourself that you want to escape you got to sort through that stuff. And if I could ask you, because I've done that too, and there's a moment that you get there where they, can, they, they, they call it a breakthrough. And that's really breaking it down to its core element so that you can always refer to it as and when you feel lost. Right. Bruce Springsteen, 
the superstar, the person who has influenced and inspired and given joy to millions and millions of people, the person who makes music, why is Bruce Springsteen here? I have no idea. <laughs> no breakthrough. No breakthrough. We got, we got some more work to do, Bruce. We got more work to do. <laughs> uh, that, that, I don't know the answer to that question, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is, uh, no, I, I, you know, everybody, I think if you're talking about. Yeah, why does he exist? You, Not why is he still here, why does he exist? Right, yes. if you're searching for a purpose in your life. You know, hey, you know, I was a guy that was born to pick up that guitar and, you know, put my band together and travel around the world and, and, and uh, you know, give people a good, nights of a good night of entertainment if I can and, and maybe sometimes a little bit more. That's a spiritual calling, Bruce, right? And it, and it, and it brings us to a song like The Power of Prayer, which is, um, and also the idea of faith and the fact that throughout your life, and I, and I think of an album like The Rising really as a key moment there, because I feel like that was a real moment when you heeded the call, that you knew you had something to share and to say that would help to repair in your own words, and you heeded the call. And you give faith to so many people. I wonder where you get you, what you put your faith in and where you're able to have a relationship with faith that's personal. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I sort of, I always, I just, I, I grew up Catholic and, and that was enough to turn me off from religion forever, you know. And I realized as I grew older that you can run away from your religion, but you can't really run away from your faith. That's something that is a very, uh, it's a very different thing. And so... I carried a lot of I carried a lot of lang of the language with me of the biblical language which I use and write with quite often, and my work is filled with it. You know, Promised Land, um, House of a Thousand Guitars, Power of Prayer on this record. You know, uh, I found a meditative. A constructive, fulfilling sort of faith through through my work. The song "Power of Prayer" on the record really sort of explains how. Hey, that was my you know those little three-minute records and 180-second character studies that came through pop music were like these little meditations and little prayers for me, and that's what I turned them into. And my faith came in and filled those songs. Uh, and gave them a spiritual dimension, you know? It's an essential part of your life. How does music play a role in your life when you're not making it and when you're not writing it? And, and is it, does it always fill, that, fill the rooms? And what do you listen to? What do you and Patty enjoy? All right, let me think what I've listened to. Okay, I have a show I'm working on, I'm gonna work on today where I, there's a song called American Muscle by a group called One America. I have, mm -hmm. I have NASA's Car 85 from his new record. Uh, uh, I have Chuck Berry's No Particular Place to Go. I have a song by the Screaming Blue Messiahs, a group that, that was uh, 19 from 1983, one of the greatest yep. bands of the 80s that people are not that familiar with. 
Uh, I have a song by the Tom Robinson band called 2468 Mower Way from the 70s. So I'm all over the place, you know. So I'm right now I'm listening to all those things for the show that I'm going to do today. You know, I feel like music this year has really shown up. It took a minute for artists to understand how to move in a different way because, you know, no longer family record tour, family record tour, like, wait a minute. And it yeah. was our job as fans to give artists the space to find their voice at a time when stillness and creativity aren't, act aren't actually good for, don't necessarily get along all the time, right? The s stillness is not always a good friend to the artist, is it, Bruce? Well, A, most artists are not good at being still. You know, that if you were good at being still, you wouldn't be... Running around the world at a thousand miles an hour, yeah. Even when you're in, in one physical place, your brain is always off on another adventure, you know, and so, I'm even I'm my mind is constantly uh, in the wilderness, you know, searching for what what's going to happen next. Where am I going? What journey am I on? And so, if you're going to be an artist, you cannot expect a a quiet mind. It, they just don't go together, you know. Uh, if you as you get older, hopefully you learn to. Uh, reserve some some room for that mind so that you're not constantly running and constantly working and constantly in place. That's an important skill to develop. But in general, artists are not creatures of a quiet mind, and that's just the way that it mm. goes. Yeah, yeah, and it's not a quiet time. I've always felt to some degree like we have wanted you to speak or to show up or to use your voice even more than you've been willing. And that we are trying to pull you into a conversation at times where you feel like you have a right and you do to decide how you wanna show up. And that's really through the power of your music and your ability to heal through your music. But does it feel like a bit of a tug of war sometimes between the, the, the quiet, secret, subliminal hope that Bruce is gonna put out a record that speaks to the times versus what is really going on inside you? Well, I, I, I take into consideration that I'm in a conversation with an audience and that I, because I have established this conversation 45 years ago, I have an obligation to keep hold up my end of it. So I try to do that, you know, uh, as best as I can and fulfill what I feel is my continuing commitment to the ideas that we've put forth and the audience that we've nurtured. So that's, so I, I don't go quiet intentionally for any long periods of time, unless I don't have anything really to add to the conversation at that moment or anything to say, you know. I'm interested in, as, as much as anybody else is, in like, well, what's gonna happen next? I don't know, I gotta wait and see. You know, I wouldn't have expected that I'd had this group of song, you know, uh, guys were telling me that we cut the record almost a year ago next month. I didn't think, you know, what I thought I'd had those songs and have the band in the studio at that time and things would have just worked it now. So, uh, you know, but I, I, I believe in holding up sort of my end of the conversation as best as I can. But I think a lot of people would have thought that this would have been a time when you would have come out and there would have been a moment where it, it, there was a, a reckoning of sorts with the way the world sits. And I think it's, for me personally, I think it's beautiful that you found a space to, to, to speak personally and honestly rather than speak for everybody else. I don't come from concept first, you know. Uh, and I don't believe the artist has to address the exact moment 
literally, you know, when they put a piece of work out, you know, the, this record sort of, it, it, it addresses it in its own way, you know. Can you give us an example about where you see that, where you hear that in the music that you made, where you feel like, in a way, whether consciously or subconsciously, you stared into the moment? To address yourself simply topically all the time. And I, I've really, I would say the closest I ever came to doing that would have been unintentionally, maybe Nebraska during the Reagan years, maybe a little born in the USA, uh, and the rising would probably be as close as, as I've come to sort of taking on immediately and direct topical issues. In general, mm. I don't do that, you know, because very often if you, I just can't write the songs that are good enough to, uh, for the moment, you know, uh, uh, and so you 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 write what comes out of you, you know, and that's the best that you have to offer at a given moment. Are you more surprised than anybody else that people consider Bruce Springsteen to be this voice of the American narrative, this person who always finds a way to translate, you know, the chaos and the calm, and yet to your point, you, you, it's never been a conscious or conceptual decision. Well, I think if you look at the body of my work and we're, and we're trying to, if you wanted to find a body of work that that expressed what it was like to be uh, an American, say from 1970 till not to now, in the post-industrial period of the United States, yeah, you know, I'd be a place you could go and 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 get some information on that. And so, in that sense, I always try to speak to my times in the way that I best could. And so that may be where that whole, that side of my identity comes from. Well, you know, this has been an incredible conversation and, and this, this album is a great conversation between yourself and all of us. And so if we could end Thank by you. me asking you this, um, can you recall one of the greatest conversations that you've ever had with somebody that really has stayed with you and not even in the specifics of what they said, but just a conversation that you remember because we have them all the time. Sure. But it saddens me that we don't recall enough of them because they subliminally make up the learnings of our life. And if you could recall one really impactful conversation. Well, I would say that I'm involved in, a, in the conversation that I've had with John Landau, my friend and longtime manager and, and record producer, I've had some of the most essential conversations of my life with, with John, with my close friend. And uh, these are conversations that I would call life-shapening conversations, where they were very, uh, at times when I was really in a quest for and stuck for who I, where I was going. And uh, uh, John was a great resource and friend and I had just some critical conversations. It's good, I wish that everyone has one friend that they can have that conversation with, which is the conversation of your life. You know, that's, that's something I wish on everybody. And then, and then the conversation with my fans, you know, those, those, that's an essential part of who I am. But, uh, but I had very, very, very intense and continue to have very meaningful conversations with my, with my good friend, John. 
Well, this has been a great one for me and hopefully for everyone who's watched it and listened to it. Thanks, Bruce. You were great, man. I really appreciate it. You were really terrific. Thank you. So were you, man. I love talking with you. It was incredible. I'll never forget it. God bless all. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with the iconic Bruce Springsteen right here on my interview series. Add a rating, leave a comment, and next time we'll be catching up with Sam Smith, so make sure you subscribe so it's yours without even having to think about it.